work, but I've always thought the rhythm of language, seeing how it hits the ear, is very important for the writer to actually speak those words out loud and hear them as opposed to just reading them flat on the page. I hope you enjoy listening to my version of the audio of The Lovely Bones. Inside the snow globe on my father's desk, there was a penguin wearing a red and white striped scarf. When I was little, my father would pull me into his lap and reach for the snow globe. He would turn it over, letting all the snow collect on the top, then quickly invert it. The two of us watched the snow fall gently around the penguin. The penguin was alone in there, I thought, and I worried for him. When I told my father this, he said, Don't worry, Susie. He has a nice life. He's trapped in a perfect world. Chapter 1 My name was Salmon, like the fish. First name, Susie. I was 14 when I was murdered on December 6, 1973. In newspaper photos of missing girls from the 70s, most look like me, white girls with mousy brown hair. This was before kids of all races and genders started appearing on milk cartons or in the Daily Mail. It was still back when people believed things like that didn't happen. In my junior high yearbook, I had a quote from a Spanish poet my sister had turned me on to, Juan Ramon Jimenez. It went like this, If they give you ruled paper, write the other way. I chose it both because it expressed my contempt for my structured surroundings, a la the classroom, and because, not being some dopey quote from a rock group, I thought it marked me as literary. I was a member of the chess club and chem club and burned everything I tried to make in Mrs. Delmenico's home ec class. My favorite teacher was Mr. Bott, who taught biology and liked to animate the frogs and crawfish we had to dissect by making them dance in their waxed pans. I wasn't killed by Mr. Bott, by the way. Don't think every person you're going to meet in here is suspect. That's the problem. You never know. Mr. Bott came to my memorial, as, may I add, did almost the entire junior high school. I was never so popular, and cried quite a bit. He had a sick kid. We all knew this, so when he laughed at his own jokes, which were rusty way before I had him, we laughed too forcing it sometimes, just to make him happy. His daughter died a year and a half after I did. She had leukemia, but I never saw her in my heaven. My murderer was a man from our neighborhood. My mother liked his border flowers, and my father talked to him once about fertilizer. My murderer believed in old-fashioned things like eggshells and coffee grounds, which he said his own mother had used. My father came home smiling, making jokes about how the man's garden might be beautiful, but it would stink to high heaven once a heat wave hit. But on December 6, 1973, it was snowing, and I took a shortcut through the cornfield back from the junior high. It was dark out because the days were shorter in winter, and I remember how the broken corn stalks made my walk more difficult. The snow was falling lightly, like a flurry of small hands, 
and I was breathing through my nose until it was running so much that I had to open my mouth. Six feet from where Mr. Harvey stood, I stuck my tongue out to taste a snowflake. Don't let me startle you, Mr. Harvey said. Of course, in a cornfield in the dark, I was startled. After I was dead, I thought about how there had been the light scent of cologne in the air, but that I had not been paying attention or thought it was coming from one of the houses up ahead. Mr. Harvey, I said. You're the older salmon girl, right? Yes. How are your folks? Although the eldest in my family and good at acing a science quiz, I had never felt comfortable with adults. Fine, I said. I was cold, but the natural authority of his age and the added fact that he was a neighbor and had talked to my father about fertilizer rooted me to the spot. I've built something back.